All right, so we continue our journey of top fails, and uh, today that starts off with the top 15 uh, fails of refugiums and all the mistakes that we've made, starting with number one. Number one is assuming that you need a big, giant refugium for your tank, and uh, you don't. These are very, very e effective. So uh, I think when I was, when I was first researching refugiums, and uh, I think measure-wise, from a 125-gallon tank, I had this mentality that I needed like a four-foot by four-foot massive thing to cover uh, the nutrients uh, coming out of my tank, the nitrates and the phosphates, the food going in, the waste produced. I need this massive thing, uh, but it turns out I don't. Yeah, I think it's really left over from an era where we were lighting it with a like 10 yeah. watt bulb or whatever, mm -hmm. incandescent bulb or fluorescent bulb. And like in that case, man, I do need a pretty big surface area. Uh, but now, if I can increase the rate of photosynthesis by four, I can actually shrink it down to one fourth the size. Yeah, right? true. And so today's technology and approaches just do not require huge areas to be effective. In fact, one of the problems uh, has really been coming up in the last few years is they're like kind of too effective. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so one of the biggest fails is actually maybe missing out on all of the advantages by assuming you need a gigantic one mm. and you absolutely don't. And in fact, if you went too big, uh, maybe you're having too big of a problem like stripping all the nutrients out. So that is one of the biggest fails I've seen with refugiums for sure. All right, so number two, and arguably this could have been number one actually. It could have, yeah. Is, uh, what is it? It's uh, getting Kato from somebody else's tank. Kato, uh, macroalgaes, anything like that. Whatever's non-clean Kato, non-sterile type Kato. So I go to my buddy's house, he's got a thriving refugium, and I rip a whole chunk out of there. I now have all of his aptasia problems, bristle worm problems, pests, you know, all of these different things that Everything. can come from the tank. Uh, if I'm worried about getting my frags from other people's tanks without dipping them and doing this other thing, I should definitely be worried about what's in the Kato. Yeah, so Kato is probably like the worst offender. I don't know why it is, but like <laughs> every pest likes to like live inside of this gunk, yeah. you know, or it gets caught up in it or whatever. Mm. And so when you grab a tank, uh, grab out of your buddy's tank and put it in your tank, you just got everything that he has. Oh yeah. I just assume that every nasty critter, you just introduce your tank in the fastest way possible, <laughs> right? Uh, I've seen it enough times. I would never, ever, ever do this again myself. Uh, we watched uh, my mistake with the 160. Mm. I wouldn't do that again. I pulled it from somebody's tank here I thought was clean. Yeah. There really wasn't a lot of clean options back then, but now there is. Now there is, right? yeah. Now there's options where you get like sterile and quarantined and grown and then regrown and quarantined system so that there's no pests. Yeah, so a system that's actually never ever, the Kato's grown in a system that's never ever seen a fish or a coral or <laughs> any of those things, right? Yeah. It's just seawater and some sterile Kato that's grown out. So like LG Barn is mm -hmm. like, you know, the de facto number one yeah. in this. I, I trust them. I've used it in all kinds of different tanks. And so it's not that you're never going to get any of those uh, worms or whatnot, but uh, we took this ball out of another tank over here and I can just see all over. Right. I can count, you know, a dozen different different <laughs> bristle worms all over just with the naked eye right and so like you just don't want all this stuff in your tank LG Barn is probably one of the best places to pick that up. Uh, they've like recently expanded. We now like stock all their stuff, so oh, you yeah. can you know pick up some LG Barn while you're picking up uh, like uh, some carbon or whatnot. But like that is absolutely. If there's only one thing that you heard today, it is absolutely <laughs> start with clean Kato. Don't introduce all those pests to your tank. Uh, you just do not want them in your tank. Mm. All right. So number three fail of uh, refugiums is okay. So. 
not enough Kato. And uh, this is one that I've seen so many times on like the Ask Beerus TV Facebook group and you know different forum posts and stuff. And, and it's people that have the proper lighting, they have the Kato, and they, you know, you have like a, say a 100, 100 gallon system or a 120 gallon system. And they ask the question like, why isn't my Kato growing? And it's like the size of a golf ball or the size of like maybe a baseball or something. And it's just not giving the Kato enough like surface area or enough Kato to handle the amount of what you're asking it to do. Mm -hmm. So not enough Kato. A golf ball of Kato is not going to outcompete nutrients in your entire <laughs> rest of your tank. No. That's just never going to happen. Eventually, that golf ball of Kato will grow out mm -hmm. over the next six months into uh, uh, something that covers over the whole refugium. Mm -hmm. But because you're blasting the light in there, you don't be surprised you fill it with hair algae and all kinds of other stuff. Right. So like, start with as much as you can afford, right? And it might seem silly that you're spending, you know, 60, 70 bucks on Kato or whatnot, mm. but like this might be the most effective filter on the entire tank. Like no other filter on the tank really is gonna like potentially mm. reduce your nitrate and phosphate levels to near or at zero, right? Yeah. So like it's super effective. It's worth the 70 bucks. Yeah, and it might be the last 70 bucks you spend on Kato too, because cool. it grows and perpetuates, and all you're doing at that point is if it's growing for you, you're just harvesting and pulling off. So it may be a one-time investment for some people. I think about it like a tree. Yeah. Right? I buy a tree for my house. I could buy this little teeny tree that's going to take forever to turn into one, or I could just start bigger. Yeah, right? true. Uh, and in this case, the tree is actually performing a function in my tank. So you know, start bigger, and you'll be happier. And you know, related to that also is. Kind Kind of like turn the lights on too early. So number four is that turn the lights on too yeah, early. Yeah, too early. So you know, establishing. So we found this on the ULM tanks. It, it seemed that we from day one we saw. First, we saw how effective a refugium could be on like a system, a mature system like the BRS160. Uh, so we thought, you know, hey, ultra low maintenance, we can start this thing off mm -hmm. with uh, a full fledged refugium with proper lighting and all that. And it actually didn't work out. No, it did not. Uh, and so this is what I would say, is uh, you cannot grow the stuff in an environment that has zero source of nitrogen or phosphorus, mm -hmm. it just won't grow. So, and it'll probably just die and then just cause a whole bunch of other problems mm -hmm. in your tank. Uh, if it dies, it's actually sending nutrients into the tank, yeah. you know? So uh, what you can do though is, you know, let, uh, put your fish in there, you know, in, in today's environment, most people are not turning their lights on right away right. and they have a tank full of fish for a couple of months first, the nitrate and phosphorus levels will start to rise and then turn your Kato uh, light on and pull the Kato in there and before you turn the lights on the tank you can actually reduce those things back down again True. so it fights algae in your tank so turning and putting it in there too early like before you actually have a healthy amount of fish and a source of food in there is probably one of the bigger fails out there and I'd absolutely avoid that all right, so number five fail with refugiums. What is it? Uh, there's a couple things here. Overlighting and underlighting. So overlighting when it comes out. So we tested the PAR on this thing. Mm -hmm. And this is the, uh, it's a turn it on and it's the power of the sun. And if I don't have, uh, if I don't use like how high it's mounted off of the thing, I'm overlighting my, I'm effectively killing my Kato, uh, my refugium with an overabundance of PAR and light, intense light. Uh, on the opposite side of that, if I'm not using you know, uh, a specific light designed for this type of purpose, uh, like my little CFO bulb from the hardware store that I spent 15 bucks on, I'm underlighting my Kato, and it's not performing the function I would need it to. Yeah, so this is what it'll look like. Overlighting it, it'll look like kind of like a coral. 
it'll start to bleach out and die. Mm. Right? Uh, Underlighting it will look like uh, a really uh, deep shade of pink on your nitrate test kit. <laughs> uh, and so you're not getting the, the usefulness out of it when you're mm. underlighting. Overlighting, you're actually killing it. And so overlighting can be uh, addressed in a handful of different ways. Right. One, uh, the biggest one is just raise the thing up above it. You know, it's, it's higher and you'll reduce the amount of par. Mm -hmm. You could actually like put a shading sheet in there for a second you know, or we can kind of slow it down. Mm -hmm. uh, if it has the ability to adjust the uh, uh, intensity, yeah. like you know, the AI Fuge has that. You can just adjust it down. If it has an acclimation mode, use it or whatnot. Uh, but yeah, you can actually adjust the intensity of these things and uh, just by height or whatnot. You can also just do it by the amount of time that it's on. Yes. Right? So yeah. like, Reduce don't start off at 12 hours. You know, you can start off at six and add an hour every mm -hmm. week, you know, and, and build on. So over and light, uh, under lighting, one of the bigger fails out there, over being the worst is super obvious because the stuff just dies. Yep. All right, so that leads directly into the number six fail. What is it? That is not tuning your light uh, for that under or over lighting or under performance. Uh, and in some cases, uh, the Kato working too well. So uh, a lot of these new lights, uh, like the, the Kessel H160, uh, the Prime Fuge, and a bunch of these other ones are LEDs. So LEDs inherently, we can turn them up and we can turn them down. And I'd say in, in a lot of the cases, turning it down or in acclimation mode is probably where you want to start and where most people will use it. Yeah, so this is a filter and it's totally tunable and yep. you just need to understand how, right? Uh, and so like a lot of these guys, again, you can just tune it by the amount of t hours it's on or you can tune it by the intensity. Right. But like what this light is doing is providing photosynthetic energy, right? Which is going to increase the rates of photosynthesis, which will increase the nitrogen and phosphorus uptake in, in, the, in the algae. So when I crank it up, I'm going to soak up nitrogen and phosphorus from the tank faster. When I turn the light and power down, it'll happen slower, yeah. right? And so, like, if I find that uh, I am not getting enough uh, nitrogen and phosphorus out of the tank, I can actually just extend the photo period. Mm -hmm. I can actually increase the uh, light intensity if that option is available, and uh, I can do the inverse too. Yeah, you know, if I get it's like totally, totally like uh, zero nitrate, zero phosphate. My corals are all pale. It's super obvious it's an issue. What do I do? Yeah, so we found this with the 160 where the light was just, the Kato and, and light was working so well that it even came down to the point where it's, all right, we, now we need to overfeed because we're not producing enough nitrogen and phosphorus for this tank. Uh, and even then it's like, okay, so now I'm, I'm feeding so heavily, uh, I just can't maintain that. And still I'm, I'm pulling too much out. Uh, so this is where I can dial back my light. And now I don't need to consider things like, you know, uh, a nitrogen source of dosing nitrates or dosing phosphates to the tank, adding more complexity to the tank because I have to dose to it, I can just turn my light down and it stops pulling so much from my my tank. Yeah, uh, we are actually running it like only three days a week at one point in yeah. time, right? So you can tune this filter to do exactly what you want to do it by adjusting the intensity and the amount of times that it's on. And I'll just share with you, like we said earlier, this fuge is only this big on a 160 gallon tank, mm -hmm. right? And so like it isn't all that big. It just has a really high powered light on it. And even at only three days a week, man, we're running zero, zero. Uh, <laughs> yes. And so they can be too good and you can just adjust uh, how you 
use it to the desired effect. So number one fail is a lot of people just turn the thing on for 12.12 and like never look back and don't really understand that this is a totally tunable filter. That's right, so a number seven fail with refugiums. This one's also super common. What is it? Uh, this one is not putting a filter sock before your refugium. So uh, mechanical filtration is capturing all of this detritus particles, un uneaten food and things like that. And with your uh, drain going directly into your Cato in your Cato refugium chamber, that stuff ends up in the bottom of the chamber. And in the case of the 160, our Cato grows so thick and so massive that it's an effort. You have to make a mental effort to go down there and vacuum out the pockets of detritus and whatnot down below. The Cato forms like a super thick mesh that effectively looks like or functions like a filter itself, yeah. right? So if you don't filter out all of that uneaten poo and food and whatever, it actually just gets stuck right in the Kato and then turns into detritus and just makes a total mess out of that area, right? And so it is absolutely valuable to remove all that stuff before it gets into the mm -hmm. Kato. So that's one of the biggest fails as well. So leading right into that is actually number eight fail with refugiums. Not cleaning the sump. And if you start to get different competing algaes that are growing on top of or inside the same re uh, the chamber as your Kato, um, not cleaning that stuff out, letting it grow. So Josh over at Worldwide said something to me that I never really heard, and I had, just hadn't thought about it this way, is you'd never let your tank look like crap, so why do you let your sump look like crap? And build up all of this detritus and stuff in it, all of that junk down mm. there is polluting the tank the same way it'd be polluting it if it was in the display. Right. So, and I've just seen it now enough times where if you take care of the sump the same way you take care of the display, the display benefits it. Mm. And like, I am totally convinced on this one. So if you, you know, suck up all that garbage out of there, specifically though in the refugium, because the refugium again, like, you know, tends to collect all that stuff. This like uh, mesh, you know, forms and it just collects it all and then it just goes to the bottom. So, you know, get some of the Kato out of the way and siphon it all out. You know, you can even like, sometimes what I'll do is really shake up all the Kato oh, yeah. and get the stuff out and then just drain it all the way down, yep. right? And suck out all the water out of there and get as much of it as out, out of there as I can. And a cleaner sump and a cleaner refugium will result in a cleaner and more thriving reef tank and display. Very close that is actually the number nine fail. This is another one I see all the time. Not harvesting your Kato. So, I mean, this stuff is growing constantly and it can grow so thick. I remember telling people at times how surprised I was at how it grew in the BRS-160, where we have this like 14 by 16 by like another 14 deep chamber. And it was, I could almost walk across, it was so thick from top to bottom, uh, really needed to be harvested. And harvesting you know, also allows for that stuff that's underneath that you, if you don't get to turn it over, and specifically if, your ball, if you don't have like a ball that's moving over, uh, it gives a, you the opportunity to remove that stuff that might end up dying underneath. Yeah, and it is. And so what you'll see is the stuff that's visible to the glass tends to stay alive and even like kind of all the way down. But then you can kind of find pockets where it's just totally deteriorating as well. So like really, man, you only need a handful of inches of the stuff floating on the top. Uh, and if you get past that, 
I think you know you're probably going to run into some problems over time. You won't really know where it shows up, but in general, it's just a good idea to keep that stuff generally harvested. You don't need it to be a mat that is 14 inches deep. Uh, really, it's only getting lit from the top and probably six inches below that as it right. rolls its way through. So, not harvesting is actually one of the biggest fails as well. I think we're all uh, been a uh, like an offender <laughs> yep. here. So make sure to periodically go in there, just grab a handful out and throw it in the trash. Okay, so again, number 10, <laughs> leading right after that one. Uh, what is the biggest fail of grabbing some with your hand, throwing in the trash? Reaching in there with your bare hands. So um, I am guilty of this all the time. I hardly ever use gloves and I pay the price for it almost every single time. I watched you do it with this I one. I did it with this one. I went to the, I went to the studio and grabbed a massive uh, of our test algae that we have in some test tanks back there, hand carried it back over there, stuck it in this tank, and now we're looking at it and there's just a mass amount of bristle worms and things in there. Uh, and I probably, I've got some red spots on my hand because I didn't wear gloves, so don't reach in there with your bare hands. Just grab, put a glove on and grab some stuff out. I actually saw him look at his hand after he put it in there, <laughs> like, oh man. So yeah, there's all kinds of stuff in there. Yeah. And like, you know, I actually grabbed a filter sock once that had all kinds of bristle worms in there. And I pulled it out, my thumb looked fuzzy. Ooh, and it ouch. hurt for a long time. Mm. So like the same thing could here. If you got a really big one and you grabbed onto it, man, yeah. like, get ready for pain. Uh -huh. uh, and so like you don't want any of that stuff on your skin. So grab a glove, grab a, you know, I don't know, anything. Yep. And just to get it out of there, don't do it with your hands because there's so often all kinds of negative critters in there. So biggest fail is a thumb full of bristle worms. So number 11, refugium fail. This one is worrying about the copepods. And don't worry about the copepods. The, I think I, I've seen this a lot. It is true that we have, uh, the, the refugium allows for an area for microfauna and things like copepods to grow and thrive. Uh, but the impact that you personally have, whether you harvest a chunk out, whether it's upstream from your skimmer or return pump, and you're worried about your copepods getting in there, one, the population of copepods uh, in that microfauna is probably so uh, massive that the little uh, minute things that you do to it is not going to affect it. And two, um, a lot of times they're living so deep into that, you know, Cato mass that worrying about your skimmer in the, in the refugium chamber in the chamber next to it is really not a concern at all because they are just fine and happy inside the Masticato. Just don't spend a ton of time <laughs> worrying about this no. system design based on coke pods. It is going to be a place where all kinds of different pods flourish and they will make their way through the return pump into your tank and almost nothing that you do, uh, you know, short of, uh, I don't even know. I don't even know <laughs> how you could pre truly prevent them from making it. UV sterilizers are not going to affect something yep. that large either. There's just all this time spent in thinking about these pods and the pods are going to thrive. I don't think that you could prevent them from like populating no. the tank short of predators actually true yep. the only thing out there is the things that eat the pods all day long and hunt them down for a living those can have a, a distinct impact but outside of that I don't think you could prevent the pods in there regardless. Just don't spend a whole lot of time. Know that your refugium is going to actually help uh, boat booster that population. You can actually pick up, you know, like different species of pods if you want to boost it, you know, mm -hmm. from LG Barn and whatnot. But like, I just wouldn't spend a whole lot of time about system design. Don't overthink it because it's probably not gonna produce a whole lot of results. All right, so number 12, uh, this one's probably gonna catch a few people off of guard because yeah. I don't think that a lot of people think about this one. So what is the number 12 fail of refugiums? Yeah, this one is 
not considering the elemental uptake that a mass of growing algae has in your tank. And there's, I mean, there's full-fledged systems designed around specifically that, like the Triton method, that has a bunch of extra, or has extra elements in there specifically designed for what's being taken out by the algae. So I'd call the Triton method actually like a two or four part yeah. made for refugiums. Right. You can do the water change thing if you want or don't want, it doesn't matter. Uh, but like it's a four part that's designed and knows that you're using a refugium for nutrient uptake uh, and exporting nitrogen and phosphorus from the tank. And then you actually have to replace things like iron and stuff because there's a way bigger uptake of that and then there won't be, a, there'll be a deficient level for your, uh, uh, you know, corals. Right. And if you doubt that, you know, find an SCP, or ICP test, send it in, and you can look at your tank and say, oh, wow, uh, no, you know, I have my iron just fine, or it's way, way depleted. Mm -hmm. and it's probably the second one. Uh, but For outside the rest of that, of us. yeah, outside of that, if you're just using whatever four, or, you know, two or four part or Kelkwasser or whatever yeah. you want to use, there's also uh, options out there like the Cato Grow uh, from Brightwell here. And, you know, it replaces those types of things that algae tends to uptake and when you're exporting. So there's potassium, boron, uh, carbon, calcium, chlorine, uh, magnesium, magnesium, molybdenum, and cobalt, nickel, sulfur, zinc, all those things that uh, like growing organisms like plants uptake and uh, would be deficient for the corals and the zooxanthellae that live within them. Uh, in this case, we're just gonna replace it. So one of the biggest fails is not thinking about like the organism's needs inside the tank and how some of these natural biofilters work and then replacing them. And then probably, you know, once a year or so, sending that ICP yeah. and making sure that we're, you know, on track. This is specifically important if you're, you know, got a huge investment into a lot of Acropora and really expensive corals, like, because, you know, a $50 test kit, you know, making sure that all the chemistry is way out of line on something like that is like a total no brainer. Uh, you know, if I got a, like a handful of zoanthids and a couple of uh, torch corals and stuff under there, I like mm -hmm. probably, they, they survive in a lot of different right. environments, probably not worth it. But if you spend a lot of money on your corals, you really care about them and, you know, you just don't want to see things deteriorate because nutrient deficiency tends to not like show up in uh, like you can't watch it. It's not like a Correct. person will tell you I don't feel good. Uh, like what happens is one day it starts losing tissue. You know, that's like where you see it. So, you know, being track of chemistry uh, is part of reefing and uh, making sure that you're replacing the things that, uh, in this case, one of your filters is uptaking so it's available for your corals. All right, so number 13, this is actually gonna be an interesting one, is uh, the biggest fail with refugiums, number 13? Yeah, this is using uh, GFO, bio pellets, uh, carbon dosing in general, and also expecting your refugium to live and thrive and thrive and live. Uh, I said, this is another one I think that like some be some beginners who are kind of thinking about these filtration. I know when I was a beginner, uh, I, re I read all of these filtration approaches and my understanding of it was I needed to implement all of them or I could implement all of them. So I wanted the bio pellet reactor. I wanted the GFO. I wanted all, you know, everything under the sun I wanted to do. And then you come to find out like as you progress and learn that this is a very specific filter that can handle, you know, the, the phosphorus and the nitrate nitrogen levels in your tank. Opposite of that, you could also choose another option like GFO and carbon dosing, or I mean, it's a variety of the of different tools attacking the same job. I just need to pick one tool or a tool that works for me. Yeah, so if I use GFO and I strip out all the phosphate, so night or so hair algae doesn't grow in my tank. 
don't be surprised when this doesn't grow either. <laughs> That's right? true. Uh, and so, and then, like again, like you said, you know, you're using this for nutrient control. I don't need 15 ways to do mm. nutrient control. This one's perfect on its own. Yeah. It is going to achieve your goal on its own. And rather than spend a ton of money on all these different things, I'd probably just get the right light for the right, uh, right tool for the right job. In this case, the right light. And so, uh, yeah, man, you don't want to be carbon dosing. It's not to say you can't run 15 different ways to control nutrients in the tank. I'm just saying you don't need to. No. And uh, if the other ones are effective and the carbon dosing and related bacteria stripping out all the nitrogen and phosphorus from the tank really rapidly, don't be surprised when your keto really doesn't like take off, right? Yeah. And like, then you're gonna start to question like, which one of the, I don't know, like none of these kind of work the way that I was hoping. And then if this one's working super great and I'm adding all this carbon dosing, like, and the bacteria don't have a, any food source to uptake it. Like, what's happening to the carbon, organic carbon levels mm. in the tank? So I just probably wouldn't run all of those things together, or at least if I'm running into challenges, I would definitely understand why that's happening. All right, so number 14 fail related to refugiums. What is it? And that, that's a consideration for medications and bacteria. Uh, while having a refugium. So there are medications out there There are that are directly impact algae growth in the tank. Uh, there are bacterias out there, heterotrophic ones, that uh, are understood to eat, you know, algae or consume those type of live organisms. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it might have an impact on this. Mm -hmm. Almost certainly does, to some degree. Uh, so like, uh, you know, the fluconazoles of the world and mm -hmm. those kinds of things that go after algae and remove them. Like, don't be surprised if it has an impact on your keto. Yeah. Uh, the uh, vibrance and different things out there. Like, uh, they tend to go after the easiest algaes in the tank, like the hair algaes and stuff like right. that. But don't be surprised if it impacts, you know, some of the more robust uh, macro algaes like the ketomorpha as well. So, you know, that just means you're not necessarily like you can't use these things together, but know what you're doing and like watch yeah. for challenges. And one of the things is if I'm going to run like uh, the Fucanazole or Vibrant or whatnot in my tank, and uh, like I want to get rid of Bryopsis in the tank mm -hmm. per se, or turf algae or bubble algae or whatever, like I can just take this filter offline. Yeah. Right. And so I can take all the Ketomorpha out of there throw it into a garbage can, throw a couple of shrimp in there and a pump and a heater, and it'll be just fine. <laughs> uh, and then soon as uh, I'm done with the treatment in my tank and I've removed all of the like uh, bryopsis or whatever I was trying to get out of the tank, I can throw the ketomorpha back in my refugium and get it back online, mm -hmm. right? So you don't have to necessarily, it's not one or the other, you just have to know what you're doing, yeah. why you're doing it, and uh, just make some wise decisions. So I would say number 14 fail is absolutely not knowing what you're doing yes. when you're using medications and bacterias, and then watching for it and being able to react or preempt uh, any of those issues. Number 15, this is an interesting one, and I see it all the time as well, yeah. uh, big fail with refugiums light spillage. Mm -hmm. um, so a couple different things here, like when we were at Sean's house at the 2000 gallon tank, uh, he had taken like some black plastic and wrapped it around his big giant uh, like SRO 9000 uh, reef octopus skimmer 
And it was because of one reason, and that was the light that he had over his mangrove type refugium type place uh, was growing algae inside of his skimmer. And I've seen it on other systems where it's growing on another chamber, pieces of equipment, uh, specifically like the, uh, like the skimmer that stands up usually tall and kind of is in that path of the light. Uh, I've also, there are some products out there that uh, some people have made for, I think uh, Devin Reef Dudes or somebody has made for these uh, for like, prime fuges in place and things where it's a clip in like shades, vents, almost yeah. barn doors barn if doors. you're in that, yeah. Uh, where you can direct where that light spillage goes. But being considerate of light spillage uh, is pretty important. I don't think anybody wants to grow algae in their sump. No. Right, and so, and not inside equipment. I don't want to clean algae out of my skimmer or whatnot. And so just use some black plastic, like acrylic or whatnot and barn door it. If you have an adjustable light, you can also like just kind of make it bring it down to the point that yeah. like it's not getting splashed on and whatnot, but also not spilling over into the other area. So this is super, super popular uh, refugium thing. If you wanna make sure that you're not getting too much spill into other areas, because you don't wanna grow hair, hair algae or any other type of algae in your filtration area or sump. All right, so if I had one takeaway from all of this, it's absolutely use sterile algae from places like Algae Barn. You do not want, you know, all the pests that came out of your buddy's tank or even the fish store's tank. And you also need to know that this is a tunable filter. Mm. You can adjust the uh, effectiveness of it by increasing the intensity, decreasing it, raising or lowering the light, even just changing the time that the light's on or the amount of days that it's on. It's a tunable filter to achieve your goals. And like every other filter out there, Keep it clean and it will perform better for you. If you want to see the experiments that has driven a lot of these conversations and tips and uh, mistakes that we found firsthand, you can catch all of those in this very special playlist with everything Refugium right over here.